Chapters 19 and 20 of Tom Swift and the War Tank. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tom Swift and his War Tank by Victor Appleton. Chapter 19 Tom is Missing. With Tom Swift's announcement that his tank was at last ready for real action, came the end of the long nights and days given over on the part of his father, himself, and his men to the development and refinement of the machine, to getting plans and specifications ready so that the tanks could be made quickly and in large numbers in this country and abroad, and to the actual building of Tank A. Now all this was done at last, and the first completed tank was ready to be shipped. Meanwhile the matter of the demolished barn had been left for legal action. Tom and Ned, it developed, had done the proper thing under the circumstances, and they were sure they had foiled at least one plan of the plotters. "'But they won't stop there,' declared Ned, who had constituted himself a sort of detective. "'They're lying back and waiting for another chance, Tom.' "'Well, they won't get it at my tank,' declared the young inventor with a smile. "'I've finished testing her on the road.' All I need do now is to run her around this place if I have to, and there won't be much need of that before she's taken apart for shipment. Did you get any trace of Simpson or the men who were with him, Blakeson and the others? No, Ned answered. I've been nosing around about that farmer, Canker, but I can't get anything out of him. For all that, I'm sure he was egged on to his hold-up game by some of your enemies. Everything points that way. "'I think you're right,' agreed Tom. "'Well, we won't bother any more about him. "'When the trial comes up, I'll pay what the jury says is right. "'It'll be worth it, for I proved that Tank A can eat up brick, "'stone, or wooden buildings and not get indigestion. "'That's what I set out to do. "'So don't worry any more about it, Ned.' "'I'm not worrying, but I'd like to get the best of these fellows. "'The idea of asking three thousand dollars for a shell of a barn.' "'Never mind,' replied Tom. "'We'll come out all right.' Now that the Liberty Loan Drive had somewhat slackened, Ned had more leisure time, and he spent parts of his days and not a few of his evenings at Tom Swift's. Mr. Damon was also a frequent visitor, and he never tired of viewing the tank. Every chance he got, when they tested the big machine in the large field, so well fenced in, the eccentric man was on hand with his, "'Bless my!' whatever happened to come most readily to his mind. Tom, now that his invention was well-nigh perfected, was not so worried about not having the tank seen, even at close range, and the enclosure was not so strictly guarded. This, in a measure, was disappointing to Eradicate, who liked the importance of strutting around with a nickel shield pinned to his coat, to show that he was a member of the Swift and Company plant. As for the giant Koku, he really cared little what he did, so long as he pleased Tom, for whom he had an affection that never changed. Koku would as soon sit under a shady tree doing nothing as watch for spies or traitors, of whose identity he was never sure. So it came that there was not so strict a guard about the place, and Tom and Ned had more time to themselves. Not that the young inventor was not busy, for the details of shipping Tank A to France came to him, as did also the arrangements for making others in this country and planning for the manufacture abroad. 
It was one evening, after a particularly hard day's work, when Tom had been making a test in turning the tank in a small space in the enclosed yard, that the two young men were sitting in the machine shop, discussing various matters. The telephone bell rang, and Ned, being nearest, answered. "'It's for you, Tom,' he said, and there was a smile on the face of the young bank clerk. "'Mm,' murmured Tom, and he smiled also. Ned could not repress more smiles as Tom took up the conversation over the wire, and it didn't take long for the chum of the useful inventor to verify his guess that Mary Nestor was at the other end of the instrument. "'Yes, yes,' Tom was heard to say. "'Why, of course, I'll be glad to come over. "'Yes, he's here. "'What? "'Bring him along. "'I, I will if he'll come. "'Oh, tell him Helen is there. <laughs> "'Enough said. "'He'll come all right.' and Tom, without troubling to consult his friend, hung up the receiver. "'What's that you're committing me to?' asked Ned. "'Oh, Mary wants us to come over and spend the evening. Helen Sever is there, and they say we can take them downtown if we like.' "'I guess we like,' laughed Ned. <laughs> "'Come along. We've had enough of musty old problems.' for he had been helping Tom in some calculations regarding strength of materials and the weight-bearing power of triangularly constructed girders as compared to the arched variety. Yes, I guess it will do us some good to get out, and the two friends were soon on their way. What's this? asked Mary with a laugh, as Tom held out a package tied with pink string. More dynamite? she added, referring to an incident which had once greatly perturbed the excitable Mr. Nestor. "'If she doesn't want it, perhaps Helen will take it,' suggested Ned, with a twinkle in his eyes. "'Halloran said they were just in fresh—' "'Oh, you delightful boy!' cried Helen. "'I'm just dying for some chocolates. Let me open them, Mary, if you're afraid of dynamite.' "'The only powder in them,' said Tom, "'is the powdered sugar. That can't blow you up.' And then the young people made merry. Tom, for the time being, forgetting all about his tank. It was rather late when the two young men strolled back toward the swift home, Ned walking that way with his chum. Tom started out in the direction of the building where the tank was housed. "'Going to have a good night look at her?' asked Ned. "'Well, I want to make sure the watchman is on guard. We'll begin taking her apart in a few days, and I don't want anything to happen between now and then.' They walked on toward the big structure, and, as they approached from the side, they were both startled to see a dark shadow, at least so it seemed to the youths, dart away from one of the windows. "'Look!' gasped Ned. "'Hello there!' cried Tom sharply. "'Who's that? Who are you?' There was no answer, and then the fleeing shadow was merged in the other blackness of the night. "'Maybe it was the watchman making his rounds.' suggested Ned. No, answered Tom, as he broke into a run. If it was, he'd have answered. There's something wrong here. But he could find nothing when he reached the window from which he and Ned had seen the shadow dart. An examination by means of a pocket electric light betrayed nothing wrong with the sash, and if there were footprints beneath the casement, they indicated nothing, for that side of the factory was one frequently used by the workmen. Tom went into the building and, for a time, could not find the watchman. When he did come upon the man, he found him rubbing his eyes sleepily and acting as though he had just awakened from a nap. 
This isn't any way to be on duty, said Tom sharply. You're not paid for sleeping. I know it, Mr. Swift, was the apologetic answer. I don't know what's come over me tonight. I never felt so sleepy in all my life. I had my usual sleep this afternoon, too, and I've drunk strong coffee to keep awake. Are you sure you didn't drink anything else? You know I'm a strict temperance man. I know you are, said Tom, but I thought maybe you might have a cold or something like that. No, I haven't taken a thing. I did have a drink of soda water before I came on duty, but that's all. Where'd you get it? asked Tom. Well, a man treated me. Who? I don't know his name. He met me on the street and asked me how to get to Plowden's hardware store. I showed him. Walked part of the way, in fact, and when I left he said he was going to have some soda and asked me to have some. I did, and it tasted good. Well, don't go to sleep again, suggested Tom good-naturedly. Did you hear anything at the side window a while ago? Not a thing, Mr. Swift. I'll be all right now. I'll take a turn outside in the air. All right, assented the young inventor. Then, as he turned to go into the house and was bidding Ned good night, Tom said, I don't like this. What? asked his chum. My sleepy watchman and the figure at the window. I more than half suspect that one of Blakeson's tools followed Kent for the purpose of buying him soda. Only I think they might have put a drop or two of chloral in it before he got it. That would make him sleep. What are you going to do, Tom? Put another man on guard. If they think they can get into the factory at night and steal my plans or get any ideas from my tank, I'll fool them. I'll have another man on guard. This Tom did, also telling Koku to sleep in the place, to be ready if called. But there was no disturbance that night, and the next day the work of completing the tank went on with a rush. It was a day or so after this, and Tom had fixed on it as the time for taking the big machine apart for shipment, that Ned received a telephone message at the bank from Mr. Damon. "'Is Tom Swift over with you?' inquired the eccentric man. "'No, why?' Ned answered. "'Well, I'm at his shop, and he isn't here. His father said he received a message from you a little while ago, saying to come over in a hurry, and he went. Says you told him to meet you out at that farmer Canker's place. I thought maybe—' "'At Canker's place!' cried Ned. "'Say, something's wrong, Mr. Damon. Isn't Tom there?' "'No, I'm at his house, and he's been gone for some time. His father supposed he was with you.' I thought I would telephone to make sure. Whew! whistled Ned. There's something doing here all right, and something wrong. I'll be right over, he added, as he hung up the receiver. End of chapter 19 Chapter 20 The Search Haven't you seen anything of him? asked Mr. Damon as Ned jumped out of his small runabout at the Swift home, as soon as possible after receiving the telephone message that seemed to presage something wrong. "'Seen him? No, certainly not,' answered the young bank clerk. "'I'm as much surprised as you are over it. What happened, anyhow?' "'Bless my memorandum pad, but I hardly know,' answered the eccentric man. 
I arrived here a little while ago, stopping in merely to pay Tom a visit, as I often do, and he wasn't here. His father was anxiously waiting for him, too, wishing to consult him about some shop matters. Mr. Swift said Tom had gone out with you, or over to your house. I wasn't quite sure which at first, and was expected back any minute. Then I called you up, went on Mr. Damon, and I was surprised to learn you hadn't seen Tom. There must be something wrong, I think. I'm sure of it, exclaimed Ned. Let's find Mr. Swift. And what's this about his going to meet me over at the place of that farmer, Mr. Canker, where we had the trouble about the barn Tom demolished? I hardly know myself. Perhaps Mr. Swift can tell us. But Mr. Swift was able to throw but little light on Tom's disappearance, whether a natural or forced disappearance remained to be seen. No matter where he is, we'll get him, declared Ned. He hasn't been away a great while, and it may turn out that his absence is perfectly natural. And if it's due to the plots of any of his rivals, said Mr. Damon, I'll denounce them all as traitors. Bless my insurance policy if I don't. And that's what they are. They're playing into the hands of the enemy. All right, said Ned. But the thing to do now is to get Tom. Perhaps Mrs. Baggert can help us. It developed that the housekeeper was of more assistance in giving information than was Mr. Swift. It was several hours ago, she said, that the telephone rang and someone asked for Tom. The operator shifted the call to the phone out in the tank shop where he was, and Tom began to talk. The operator, as Tom had instructed her, listened in, as Tom wants always a witness to most matters that go on over his wires of late. "'What did she hear?' asked Ned eagerly. "'She heard what she thought was your voice, I believe,' the housekeeper said. "'Me!' cried the young bank clerk. "'I haven't talked to Tom today, over the phone or any other way. "'But what next?' "'Well, the operator didn't listen much after that, "'knowing that any talk between Tom and you was of a nature not to need a witness.' Tom hung up, and then he came in here, quite excited, and began to get ready to go out. "'What was he excited about?' asked Mr. Damon. "'Bless my unlucky stars, but a person ought to keep calm under such circumstances. That's the only way to do. Keep calm! Great Scott! But if I had my way, all those German spies would be— "'Oh, pshaw! Nothing is too bad for them. It makes my blood boil when I think of what they've done.' "'Tom should have kept cool.' "'Go on. What was Tom excited about?' Ned turned to the housekeeper. "'Well, he said you had called him to tell him to meet you over at that farmer's place,' went on Mrs. Baggert. "'He said you had some news for him about the men who had tried to get hold of some of his tank secrets, and he was quite worked up over the chance of catching the rascals.' "'Whew!' whistled Ned. This is getting more complicated every minute. There's something deep here, Mr. Damon. I agree with you, Ned, and the sooner we find Tom Swift, the better. What next, Mrs. Baggert? Well, Tom got ready and went away in his small automobile. He said he'd be back as soon as he could after meeting you. And I never said a word to him, cried Ned. It's all a plot. A scheme of that Blakeson gang to get him into their power. Oh, how could Tom be so fooled? 
He knows my voice over the phone as well as otherwise. I don't see how he could be taken in. Let's ask the telephone operator, suggested Mr. Damon. She knows your voice, too. Perhaps she can give us a clue. A talk with the young woman at the telephone switchboard in the swift plant brought out a new point. This was that the speaker, in response to whose information Tom Swift had left home, had not said he was Ned Newton. He said, reported Miss Blair, that he was speaking for you, Mr. Newton, as you were busy in the bank. Whoever it was said you wanted Tom to meet you at the canker farm. I heard that much over the wire, and naturally supposed the message came from you. Well, that puts a little different face on it said Mr. Naiman. Tom wasn't deceived by the voice then, for he must have thought it was someone speaking for you, Ned. But the situation is serious just the same, declared Ned. Tom has gone to keep an appointment I never made, and the question is, with whom will he keep it? That's it, cried the eccentric man. Probably some of those scoundrels are waiting at the farm for him, and they've got him no one knows where by this time. Oh, hardly as bad as that suggested Ned. Tom is able to look out for himself. He'd put up a big fight before he'd permit himself to be carried off. Well, what do you think did happen? asked Mr. Damon. I think they wanted to get him out to the farm to see if they couldn't squeeze some more money out of him, was the answer. Tom was pretty easy in that barn business, and I guess Canker was sore because he hadn't asked a larger sum. They knew Tom wouldn't come out on their own invitation, so they forged my name, so to speak. "'Can you get Tom back?' asked Mrs. Baggert anxiously. "'Of course,' declared Ned, though it must be admitted. He spoke with more confidence than he really felt. "'We'll begin the search right away.' "'And if I get my hands on any of those villains,' spluttered Mr. Damon, dancing around, as Mrs. Baggert said, like a hen on a hot griddle, which seemed to describe him very well. If I can get hold of any of those scoundrels, I'll, I'll, bless my collar button, I don't know what I will do. Come on, Ned. Yes, I guess we'd better get busy, agreed the young bank clerk. Tom has gone somewhere, that's certain, and under a misapprehension. It may be that we are needlessly alarmed, or they may mean bad business. At any rate, it's up to us to find Tom. In Ned's runabout, which was a speedier car than that of the eccentric man, the two set off for Canker's farm. On the way they stopped at various places in town where Tom was in the habit of doing business, to inquire if he had been seen. But there was no trace of him. The next thing to do was to learn if he had really started for the Canker farm. "'For if he didn't go there,' suggested Ned, "'it will look funny for us to go out there making inquiries about him.' and it may be that after he got that message, Tom decided not to go. Accordingly, they made enough inquiries to establish the fact that Tom had started for the farm of the rascally canker, who had been so insistent in the matter of his almost worthless barn. A number of people who knew Tom well had seen him pass in the direction of Canker's place, and some had spoken to him, for the young inventor was well known in the vicinity of Shopton and the neighboring towns. "'Well, out to Canker's we'll go,' decided Ned. "'And if anything has happened to Tom there, "'well, we'll make whoever is responsible wish it hadn't.' "'Bless my fountain pen, that's what we will,' chimed in Mr. Damon. 
and so the two began the search for the missing youth. End of chapter.